All right, welcome to the Krug Show, everybody. Friday, 1045, Chase Sr. in the house. Our regular slot, and uh, man, we're really enjoying having Chase on. Niners and Lions go Sunday. The winner moves on to Vegas. The loser season comes to an end. Chase, how are you, man? It's a football Friday, and for fans watching the show, this is what you dream of. 49ers playing in the NFC Championship game. Opportunity to punch their ticket to Super Bowl 58 in Las Vegas. If they get there, there's going to be a lot of red in the Sin City. And for us as broadcasters or the new hip term content creators, this week has been absolutely awesome. This playoff run has been a blast, and I hope it continues. And I hope that you and I are able to link up in Las Vegas and do some content there in a couple weeks. Yeah, seriously, I'm fired up. I've got, uh, if the Niners go, I'm going. If the Niners don't go, I'm not going. You're probably going either way, right? Yeah, I'm going either way. Um, hopefully, being able to provide coverage on the 49ers report. Either way, I'll be there doing shows on the 49ers report, catch up with some media members, catch up with some players, hopefully, and but the celebrities on Radio Row, but it just adds so much more juice when the Niners are actually playing in the game as compared to them not, because then you have an opportunity to interview the team and partake in all of the fun events in the lead-up to the game on Sunday. Man, I can't imagine how off the chain it is going to be if the Niners go. Um, I mean, it's going to be a lot of late nights, a lot of early mornings, a lot yeah. of streaming, a lot of videos, a lot of partying. Uh, it's going to be absolutely epic. I've got my whole week scheduled out. All these different people we're meeting with, uh, from casino owners to uh, big wigs with the Niners, alums, and everything else. It's going to be absolutely fantastic. All right, let's get into it, though, because first, the Niners have some business to uh, get out of the way, and that's the Detroit Lions. And the Lions roll in feeling like this is their time. I kind of think of it as the 83 um, or the 84 Bears, you know, they were one year before their time and 85 was their time um, and 84 was the Niners time. And I kind of look at it the same way here. I think the Lions are on the come and I think they could be the dominant team in the NFL maybe in a year. Uh, but I think this is going to be the 49ers day uh, in the sunshine um, at Levi's on Sunday at 3.30. How do you see the matchup? Why don't we just jump right into it? Um, Dan Campbell came aboard in 2021. He's led this turnaround with Detroit. Uh, they hosted a playoff game for the first time in 30 years. They won one for the first time in 32 years. And now they're coming to Levi's to try to pull the upset over the 49ers. How do you see the matchup? I think it's a terrific matchup. And I agree with you. I think this Detroit Lions team is on the come up and Frankly, I think that they've arrived, and I think you have to look at this Lions team for the body of work that they put on tape over the last year and a half, and under Dan Campbell, they've made steady strides forward, and they've had these continued improvements, and Brad Holmes has done a great job as general manager in compiling all the talent, and even though Dan Campbell isn't a coach who calls plays or has a specific specialty, he played tight end in the NFL, he's hired a bunch of good coaches. And he's maximized a lot of his players. And he has this team believing. And over the last year and a half, they've played really good football. And with the way that they ended the 2022 season with Jared Goff playing well, they have an excellent offensive coordinator in Ben Johnson. They have a contingent of weapons on that side of the ball. And even though they have some holes defensively, they play hard. I really like Detroit going into the 2023 season to win the NFC North. I thought that after the Vikings won 11 games and went 11 and 0 in one score games that they were going to fall off a little bit. The injury to Kirk Cousins didn't help matters at all. I thought that this was going to be somewhat of a rebuilding and retooling year for Green Bay, and it was. I didn't think the Chicago Bears were going to be any good, and they really weren't up until they made some improvements late in the year. So I thought this was the division for the Lions to capture, and they won their first division championship since 1991, and now they're in their first NFC championship game since 1991. And when you look at this squad, they have a great play caller in Ben Johnson who's very creative innovative and he puts his players in a position to succeed and there's a reason why he's the most sought after head coaching candidate this offseason and I think he's going to link up with Adam Peters they're going to draft the quarterback and he's going to make the NFC East very very interesting and I think he's going to be very successful then you look at the personnel because Ben Johnson is such a great offensive mind Jared Goff has elevated his play 
He's recaptured his confidence because it was down after he got traded from the Rams to the Lions. They have an excellent offensive line. Penny Sewell is a freak at right tackle. Frank Ragnow, all pro center. They have two really good running backs in Jameer Gibbs, as well as David Montgomery. Gibbs is physical. He's fast. He's elusive, but he can catch the ball out of the backfield. Then they had that bell cow physical back in David Montgomery. And for them to get Jameer Gibbs and Sam Laporta in the first round, they knocked it out of the park because I think Sam Laporta over the next five, 10 years is going to be one of the best tight ends in the game. And then I really like what they offer at wide receiver. Amon Ross St. Brown is utilized as their motion man. He can line up as X. He can line up in the slot. They get very creative with finding ways to get him the football. They have the vertical speed threat in Jamison Williams who can take the top off of the defense. Josh Reynolds is a very solid player. And then Khalif Raymond kind of falls under the radar. So I really like this offense, and it's going to be a huge test for Steve Wilkes and this defense. Wilkes has done a great job of making adjustments in-game this year, and he's going to have to continue to do that against Ben Johnson because Johnson's going to counter with those adjustments. But at the end of the day, I think that San Francisco is the better all-around team, and I do like the Niners to win this game. But like that Green Bay game I predicted right here on the show, on the 49ers report, it was going to be a slugfest. And I do think this game is going to be close and decided in the fourth quarter with the Niners eventually winning. You know, it's interesting. Um, you know, either the Niners are going to avenge their title game losses the past two years, or the Lions are going to win in their first appearance in, on this stage in 32 years. Uh, it's great drama for sure. Um, you know, let's talk a little bit about the Lions as far as Jared Goff. Let's start with Goff because the Niners have a long run with Goff. I mean, he spent his first five seasons with the Rams. He got the better of the early matchups against Shanahan's Niners. He he won three in a row against them in 2017 and 2018. Um, and he looked great in those games, 136.3 passer rating, nine touchdowns, no picks. But then the Niners got better, and Goff, they made Goff struggle. And he's lost, you know, he lost all four of the matchups in 2019 and 2020 with a 70.3 rating, four touchdowns, four picks. Now he's playing the best ball of his career, but he's also without Jonah Jackson at left guard. Yep. And to me, man, if there's one area where if I'm the 49ers, I am absolutely going to be unrelenting in my defensive approach. It's a gap pressure yep. with Ragnow not healthy with Glasgow and Jackson. Glasgow is just a guy. Jackson is out and there's going to be Coyote Awasika in there um, who's not necessarily, a, uh, you know, he's not a veteran. He's a, he's a young, uh, he's a young up and coming player, but he has very little experience and he hasn't been that good. I think you got to have a lot of a gap pressure, whether it's Greenlaw, Warner, Hargrave, Armstead. To me, the one thing about Jared Goff is he's a six, five guy who's got a good arm, pretty good accuracy, but he doesn't have lateral agility at all. And if you can force him to move laterally, I think that's going to be a win. I'd be shocked if Goff was able to move laterally and still really carve up the Niners with any kind of precision. Um, I think they got to get a gap pressure. I think that's their advantage. And I think uh, there's, there's no doubt. I think you've got to somehow pressure Goff in his face. And if they do, I think they're going to win. I agree. And Frank Ragnall is dealing with the sprained knee, a sprained ankle. Jonah Jackson, their left guard is going to be out. He gave up no pressures when he was in the game and then his backup came in and gave up multiple pressures and he was getting steamrolled throughout that game against Tampa Bay and Jared Goff is not a mobile quarterback he likes to operate within the confines of the pocket and he really doesn't have the athletic ability at all to burn you with his legs or to even have the escape ability to get out of the pocket and I don't really like him when he's throwing on the run he has a solid arm but not a bazooka for an arm where he can really throw off platform. And because of that, I think it's really important for San Francisco to run a lot of twists, gains, stunts up front. And this is a huge opportunity for Eric Armstead, who played well against the Packers last week, as well as Javon Hargrave, who you gave a four-year, $84 million contract to, to have a big performance in a game like this to get to Las Vegas for the right to bring the Lombardi Trophy on that quest for six. And when you look at Goff's numbers this year, true cl completion percentage is 74%. It's fifth in the NFL. Throws a good deep ball, 48%. 
That's number six on his deep ball completion percentage. Operating out of a clean pocket, though, Larry, 70.5%, sixth in the NFL. But when he gets pressured, his pressured completion percentage is at 53.1%, 20th in the NFL. So that's a 17% difference from a clean pocket to a pressured pocket. And then furthermore, according to Pro Football Focus, Goff completed just 51% of his passes for six touchdowns, nine interceptions. And he was pressured on 21% of snaps this year, but he scrambled only seven times. And his passer rating, 62.9 when he was under pressure, according to the metric from PFF. But when he was kept clean in the pocket, that rating was 116.1. That was the second best mark in the NFL behind Brock Purdy. So Javon Hargrave, Eric Armstead, you're going to have to get after it. But also, if I'm Steve Wilkes, I'm finding a way to try to have Nick Bosa and Chase Young either line up at defensive tackle on a couple of snaps or on some of those twist gains and stunts. You have them matching up on a little bit of a delay against a banged up interior offensive line for Detroit. You get pressure in Goff and you blur his sight line and he starts to feel a little bit wobbly around his feet in a muddy pocket. He's prone to making mistakes. And then lastly, before I throw it back to you, the Detroit Lions, more than any team in the NFL, like to target the middle area of the field. And that's because when Goff is able to maneuver and operate inside the pocket, he has that sight line. But if he has pressure in his face, it takes away what Detroit really likes to do with the crossers, with the in routes, with the shallow crosses. And then Jared Goff, if he does get pressured, prone to making mistakes. What I mean, so I, you know, Goff is playing well. And I love these weapons. Laporta was an awesome high school receiver. He was awesome at Iowa. He's been awesome this year. And I agree with Steve Wilkes. I flip on that film. I don't see the knee injury that he had in week 18. It's like it didn't happen. Right. So he looks great. Amon Ra is a major problem. He's got him and golfer in lockstep. Um, and then they can go up top with the Alabama kid who's just got unbelievable wheels. Um, and then they've got, you know, maybe the best dynamic, uh, uh, receiver out of the backfield we've seen come out of the college game in years and very much like a Christian McCaffrey in uh, in Jameer Gibbs. And then you got a horse in in David Montgomery. I don't know why the Bears ever let him get out. Um, the Niners last week played Logan Ryan 67 defensive snaps. He played all of the snaps at safety yeah. over Jair Brown. Um, it was a rough game for Ryan. He had, you know, we saw him just whiff on the Aaron Jones 53-yard run. Um, right near the line of scrimmage. Uh, he also had a busted quarters coverage play later on, leaving Ambry Thomas on an island with no help. Um, and I understand why they wanted to go with Logan Ryan, but I'm done with it. I want to see Jair Brown, and I told Steve Wilkes as much earlier this week. Wilkes wouldn't confirm anything, but I get the vibe that they're going back to Jair Brown, and they should. Um, what, what do you see? I mean, how do you see it? Because to me, Jair Brown is their future and Logan Ryan, if you can't stand up to Aaron Jones, you're not standing up to David Montgomery. Even if you're in ideal position, he's just literally going to run over you. So I want to go with Jair Brown over, over Ryan. Where are you on it? Totally with you. And I just put out a video this morning, actually talking about that depth chart change for San Francisco in that game against Green Bay. And I think that Kyle Shanahan and Steve Volks have to make the pivot back to Jair Brown. And what I didn't really understand, I get it when Kyle says Jair Brown missed four weeks and two games with the knee injury. He's an inexperienced player. And because of that, we went with the veteran Logan Ryan, who has a lot of experience and playoff experience. But here's the thing. Logan Ryan didn't really have a lot of experience this year, and he's not the athletic player that Jair Brown is. Logan Ryan logged 77 coverage snaps this season, and it looked as though he was a player who was old, whose best days are behind him, and looked inexperienced this year. And I'm going with the player who's more athletic, who's more explosive, who has great instincts, and most importantly, Talano Hufanga was an all-pro last year. He gets hurt. Jair Brown comes in and he played well. So not only is he the more athletic, I think more seasoned player, if we're talking about right now in the immediacy of the moment, but he's the better player. Jair Brown this year, I thought was really, really good. And I think when you don't talk about a rookie safety during a game broadcast, usually it's a good thing because when you are, 
He's getting burnt to a crisp. But Jair Brown, overall pro football focus grade of 77.9. He's good against the run because you can play him in the box. 77 and a half grade against the run. He had a coverage grade of 74.5, so he can play on the back end. And if you're worried about the inexperience, you have so many experienced players on this defense who can help make up for the lack of experience for Jair Brown. And he's playing alongside Tashawn Gibson. And it's not like that came on a massively small sample size for Brown. Those numbers, 275 coverage snaps, two interceptions, and six missed tackles. And you can try to tell me, well, Logan Ryan tried to plug the hole. He got faked out and juked out by Aaron Jones. And that could have happened to Jair Brown. But Jair Brown is a physical player. He's not afraid to put his hat on the ball carrier. And he does a great job of having this instinctual feel to his game where he can diagnose and read plays. And he gets that short memory for a rookie where if he does mess up, He's going to come back and make that next play, and I have a lot of confidence in him to do that. I just don't know against an athletic team that's highly skilled, that has a great scheme, why you would have an old player out there who doesn't have the athleticism of Jair Brown because that can cost you more so than the lack of experience because at least Jair Brown can make up for the lack of athleticism. Yeah, I mean, and Montgomery's 225. I mean, he's their leader in carries. He's a downhill runner. Um, he's, he's hard to bring down. He's thick and he's averaged 2.3 yards after contact per rush this season. That's third best in the NFL. And you're going to put Logan Ryan, a glorified corner out there at safety. And Gibson is not a great run defender. I mean, Gibson is a good ball Hawk center fielder who can come away with an interception and not drop the ball, but that's all he's good at. He's not a great man-to-man cover guy, and he's not really good against the run. So, I mean, you got Gibbs, you got, you got, uh, Montgomery. I mean, it's, you know, and, and Gibbs averaged five to a carry this year, 2.5 after contact. That was second best in the NFL. So both these guys, and you don't have Cleveland Farrell, um, who was, you know, a very good run defender. Um, you know, he was only a rotational piece, but he was one of the Niners better run defenders. I think you got to go with Jair Brown. All right, let's jump to the Niners on the offensive side. What do you think here? I mean, the one thing, you know, you look at Detroit and their pass defense is really a sieve. They're giving up a lot of yards on the outside. Um, And their corners, I don't think, can stand up to the Niner receivers. Um, But at the same time, you know, the Lions are going to try to speed up Purdy. They love to blitz their defensive backs. Ifiatu Melanfonwu. Uh, say that five times fast. Yeah. He's the league's first safety to have one and a half sacks in a postseason game in nine years What it, with what he did last week against Tampa. Uh, he set a franchise record for sacks by a defensive back with four. Brian Branch is enormously strong. The rookie slot defender uh, had eight tackles for a loss. Um, and, you know, that was the, the team mark this year. Both those guys can shoot into the backfield and create negative plays. How do you see the 49er passing attack trying to block Aiden Hutchinson, who has eight sacks in the last four games, and trying to deal with these blitzing uh, defensive backs? Yeah, that's a huge concern for me. Colton McKivitz going up against Aiden Hutchinson, who had more than 100 pressures this year. I think you take care of that by having a tight end on that side, and you're just chipping Aiden Hutchinson throughout the day. But you also have to be aware of Detroit's aggressiveness on the defensive side of the football. They do a lot of the same things as the Baltimore Ravens, delayed corner blitzes, delayed safety blitzes, and sometimes post-snap, it's really difficult to identify that. But the good news is for San Francisco is that if they blitz from the corner slot, if they blitz from the safety position, it opens up some opportunities downfield. So pass blocking for Christian McCaffrey is going to be important. If he's out of the game, Elijah Mitchell is going to have to pass block. The tight ends are going to have to pass block. The offensive line is going to have to shore up their protection there. The communication pre-snap from Brock Purdy and diagnosing where those blitzes might come from, I think is going to be paramount. And if the 49ers can stand up to that Detroit Lions aggressive defensive style in which they like to blitz, I actually think that Brock Purdy can get back on track and help lift the Niners to the Super Bowl. This is a Detroit defense that all year has been very good in defending the run. Yards per rush, fifth in the NFL at 3.8. Rushes per game, 23rd. 
uh, or 23 rushes per game. That's third in the NFL. Rushing yards per game, number two in the NFL. And since week 10, their rush defense EPA, third, rush defense success rate, fifth. So those are the rushing numbers for Detroit. But this is why I think that Brock Purdy could have a lot of success through the air. And what a story that would be for all the detractors and Brock Purdy haters out there if he's able to deal them a devastating blow and carve up this Lions secondary that's been carved up a lot of times this year. Since week 10, pass defense EPA for Detroit is 29th. Pass defense success rate is 30th. The only two teams worse, Washington Commanders and the Arizona Cardinals. And Brock Purdy performed very, very well against both of those defenses. Yards per pass all year for Detroit. 7.3, that's 30th in the NFL. Passing yards per game, 256. Detroit, with Aaron Glenn as their defensive coordinator, also runs man coverage, the fifth highest rate at the NFL this year, and Akash did a great job of breaking this down on X. Brock Purdy against man coverage this year, number one in yards per attempt, EPA per play, passer rating, passer rating under pressure, and number two in EPA per play under pressure. So if you are able to block up front, and it's going to be a tall test because this Lions defensive line is very good, led by Aiden Hutchinson, and Aaron Glenn does a good job with those delayed corner safety blitzes, then you could take advantage of that back end, which has struggled all year. And you have the weapons to really take advantage of those deficiencies on the Lions side of the defensive football with Brandon Ayuk, hopefully Debo Samuel, George Kittle, Christian McCaffrey, Jawan Jennings could also be in store for another big game as well. Purdy has an opportunity to really have a special performance at Levi Stadium on Sunday. Yeah, I agree. It's a lot of this is in Purdy's hands. I mean, Green Bay last week, Joe Barry, who's now been fired um, as the yep. defensive coordinator, but he mixed up a lot of zone coverages. But the one play that they went with the man coverage, um, sure enough, Purdy found Kittle on the on the touchdown. Um, and, and, and beat that, beat that man-to-man coverage. So, um, can, you know, if, if the lions play man-to-man coverage, you know, it's, it's going to be an explosive game and Purdy's going to be right in the middle of it. Now the Niners have home field advantage as the number one seed in the NFC. Um, they were five and two at home this year. If you take away the Ram game, which is a, you know, week 18, they really didn't show for, um, and then you got the Lions who went six and three on the road in the regular season. They lost to the Cowboys, the Bears, and the Ravens outside of Detroit. Home teams have won in these playoffs. Every home team except for the Chiefs in Buffalo and the Packers in Dallas has won here in the playoffs. The Niners also have a major experience advantage on the on the Lions. How much do you what's the bigger advantage in your mind? Uh, people were at people asked Fred Warner this week about this chase. And they said, you know, they're asking him about, Hey, you know, you guys have experience and they don't. And he said, you know what? I don't really think of that as a big advantage. What I think our big advantage is, is that we're at Levi's in front of the faithful. Yeah. And I do think that, you know, Fred Warner may be playing a little bit coy there. I do think that what Christian McCaffrey said yesterday can certainly be taken as an important point. And he said, look, it's very rare that you have a football team that's this talented. So inside this building, we understand what the sense of urgency is. And while Fred Warner said what you just said, all year he's kind of pointed to the fact, look, we have a really special team. We understand that we got to take advantage of this opportunity. And it's a great opportunity here. You got the number one seed, home field advantage going through Levi's. It's going to be better weather on Sunday as compared to last Saturday. You have the home faithful behind you. And look, I know that Packers game was certainly a test, but you got the number seven seeded Green Bay Packers. And if I would have told you that at the start of this playoff run, you had the Detroit Lions in your way of a Super Bowl appearance for the second time since 2019, a lot of people would have taken that. And as part of this game being at Levi Stadium, it's important to bring this up that Jared Goff is 0-5 in his last five games against San Francisco, and he is a completely different quarterback indoors as compared to outdoors. Yes, he's a NorCal guy. He went to Cal, played his college ball there, so he's familiar with the climate and the weather. But for whatever reason, whether it's communication, whether it's his lack of insane arm strength, whether it's nerves, 
he is not the same quarterback outdoors as compared to indoors. And the splits are pretty fascinating. Indoors this year, 11 games, he's completed 69% of his passes. Outdoors in six games, so half the sample size, the completion percentage goes down to 64.5%. Out uh, Indoors, he's thrown for nearly 3,000 yards. Outdoors, almost 1,600 yards. Indoors, 23 touchdowns, eight interceptions. Outdoors, seven touchdowns, four interceptions. So basically, if you double up that sample size, indoors 11 games, outdoors six games, to 12 games outdoors, that's still a touchdown to interception rate of 14 to eight. Not great. What's of note here is that outdoors, Jared Goff tends to hold on to the football a little bit longer. He's been sacked 15 times indoors in 11 games, 15 times outdoors in six games, and his rating goes down from 104 to 87.9. So you pair that up with what we talked a little bit about earlier, getting that interior pass rush, because if you move him off his spot, he just can't throw off platform. This is how San Francisco can win this game. And that's why over the last couple of days, as I've scouted this Lions team and I've done so much content this week on the 49ers report, my score prediction all week has kind of been 35-31 because I believe this Lions offense poses a lot of threats. It wouldn't surprise me if we're looking at a game like the 2019 NFC title game between the Niners and the Packers where San Francisco just plays bully ball. They get after Jared Goff and it ends up being a long day for the Lions and their dream ride comes to an end with the dominant Niners win on Sunday. Man, I would love to see it because I don't know if I could live through another oh, grinder, meat grinder. I got last, a couple like gray hairs after that game on Saturday. That was oh, unbelievable. <laughs> yeah, seriously. I mean, I, I'll say this. I didn't enjoy one minute of that game live, but I did enjoy it quite a bit watching the replay. No doubt. Uh, no, <laughs> and then the know. end, when Dre Greenlaw picked off the pass, it's like, oh, my gosh. Get what down. Get yeah. down! Get down! Get down! Oh my God, that was I, I. I don't know if I could go with another one of those. I expect a little bit of a show of a shootout. The Niners were third in the league in points per game during the regular season. Detroit wasn't far behind that. They were fin they finished in fifth place. Yeah. Do you expect a high scoring shootout, or do you expect that that the Niners? You know, you say, make it seem like it might be one sided, and they might be able to to corral Goff. Um, to me, it's all about the pressure they can get on golf, but what, what kind of tempo, what kind of, is it high scoring, low scoring? What do you, what do you envision? Yeah. Yeah. So what I said, I, all week, I've kind of been around this 35, 31 Niners win where both teams are kind of exchanging blows, kind of like a heavyweight bout back and forth on the offensive side where the defenses struggle a little bit because these two offenses are very potent. They're very multiple. They're very diverse. And you have two great play callers with a lot of insanely skilled position players. And Ben Johnson calling plays, Kyle Shanahan calling plays. This Lions defense has struggled all year long, especially against the pass. This Niners defense has had some holes going up against some really elite teams. So I think it's a little bit of an offensive shootout where the Niners win 35-31. But I wouldn't be surprised if they do pull away in the fourth quarter where the scoreboard looks a little bit more like a lopsided victory as compared to how the game actually played out. But in order for the Niners to win big, they're going to have to get after Jared Goff and like they did against Green Bay and like we talked about here on the show, they're going to have to be in plus territory in the turnover differential department. You know, the one area that I'm really intrigued by is that the Lions' pass defense allowed 69 passes this year of 20 or more yards in the regular season. Yep. That was the most of any team in the entire league. And it's really... That trend kind of stood up in the playoffs. They've allowed 13 such plays in two games, twice as many as any other playoff team. The Niner offense, on the other hand, had the most such pass plays. They connected on 75 pass plays of 20 yards or more in the regular season. And then there's the yak. You know, um, Detroit's defense allowed the ninth most yak yards this year. What do you think? I mean, um, to, is is it going to be you know Kendall Vildor and just getting roasted by the Niners uh, past uh, you know passing game and uh, Cameron Sutton just getting ripped 
or do you think somehow, I mean, the one thing about this secondary that's really interesting, Vildor and Sutton can be picked on for sure. Yep. But then Melifonwu has been utilized as a blitzer quite a bit, the strong safety. And then you've got Branch, who's an awesome nickelback. And you got Kirby Joseph, who's just a headhunter. And C.J. Gardner-Johnson, who's got this like vendetta against Debo. And you know he's going to be hunting Debo big time in this game. How do you how do you think overall um, Detroit's defensive backfield is going to play? It could determine the outcome. I like the edge for San Francisco here, and while the Lions have had success in being aggressive, sometimes they can get overly aggressive. And I think that Kyle Shanahan has an opportunity here to kind of call a couple of plays, and this is what he does brilliantly to then set up an explosive play given what he saw Detroit do and take advantage of that over-aggressiveness. And that yards after the catchability for San Francisco is such a huge component of what the Niners do offensively because Kyle Shanahan does such a great job with his play designs and scheming up opportunities for his weapons to get the ball in space. And that's why Brock Purdy has been such a perfect fit for this offense because he can throw with anticipation, he can read and dissect the defense, but he's so accurate getting the ball in stride to his playmakers, allowing them to pick up yards after the catch. And if Detroit, who they are physical, they do have some headhunters, but if they over-pursue a little bit that opens up that window for Brock Purdy to hit one of his weapons to pick up a big play and a big chunk after the catch and that's why it's so important for Debo to play in this game he's such an x factor for this Niners team and with him throughout his career the Niners are 53 and 23 they have a winning percentage of nearly 70 percent they average nearly 27 points per game, 138 and a half rushing yards per contest, and turnover differential is plus eight. Without Debo, they're eight and nine. Winning percentage is 47%. Points per game drops down to 24. Rushing yards per game goes down to 118. And the turnover di differential goes all the way to minus eight. So it's almost like the Niners press a little bit on both sides of the ball and they make more mistakes, maybe because their offense is a little bit more predictable without the Swiss Army knife and the do-it-all, one-of-one weapon that is Debo. Even if he's out there as a motion man, you still have to account for him in where he goes on the field, but then there can be that window dressing. There can be that creativity off of it where Debo goes in motion to one side and then Brock Purdy goes to the other, and then you have this overly aggressive Lion secondary that over-pursues, and once guys shift one direction and you hit them on that other side of the field, that's what San Francisco is so good at, and that's why it's so important for Brock Purdy to be cool, calm, and collected like we've seen him, to be accurate, to play his best game. And I think he's going to be able to do that because, as we've seen, the weather holds him back. He can't throw a wet football. You're not going to have to worry about that. And the matchup here sides with San Francisco going up against the weaknesses of this Lions defense. What's your biggest concern with the Lions? If you you know cuz they provide to me they've got eight great players, five on offense, three on defense, Branch, CJ Gardner-Johnson and Hutchinson on the defensive side, and then Amon-Ra, Laporta, Ragnow, um Gibbs and um, Panay Sewell on offense. They've got you know some of the NFL's greatest individual talents. Yeah. But you know, just looking at this thing without me leading you in any direction, what's your biggest concern? My biggest concern is Detroit being able to establish the ground game, which the Niners have struggled against and struggled to tackle all season long. That's been a little bit of a huge weakness for San Francisco all season long. So if Detroit can establish the run and they have Jameer Gibbs finding success on the ground, and then they give it to David Montgomery, who gives him that physical element, and then Jameer Gibbs, out of that, is able to sneak out of the backfield, catch a couple of screen passes, and then off of the run, they're able to establish play action, and you can't get pressure on Jared Goff, then they can pick you apart all day because of the great play caller, because of the weapons. But when they become multiple... And when you don't know if they're going to run it on any given play or throw it on any given play, they have this plethora of weapons that just opens up the entire field. And Jared Goff is a very rhythmic type of quarterback. When he finds a rhythm, he really starts to feel it. 
But when he gets a little bit flustered, that's when he questions things a little bit. And that's when he can turn the football over, make a couple of errant throws and make some mistakes. And that's why getting pressure on Jared Goff is so important. That's why stopping the ground game is so important. So that's the biggest concern for me for the Niners defense. And then for the Niners offense, it's really Colton McKivitz holding up against Aiden Hutchinson and also the Niners being able to identify some of the post-snap, pre-snap blitz packages that the Lions are going to throw their way. I kind of see the Niners sliding the coverage to uh, McKivitt's side to try to help with Hutchinson and just saying to Big Trent, hey, you know what? You got Kaminsky or Pascal or whoever's going to be on that other side one-on-one all day. What do you think of that idea? I mean, just try to give Colton I mean I talked to Colton in the locker room yesterday and he's you know he's not nervous but he's got proper respect for Hutchinson he knows how hard he plays Hutchinson's got a nasty spin move Um, what do you think I mean what's the best way for the Niners to try to compensate for the fact that Hutchinson's probably going to have an advantage against Colton He's going to have an advantage because Aiden Hutchinson, year one, last year as a rookie, was excellent. This year, awesome. Had more than 100 quarterback pressures this year. That was more than Nick Bosa. He's really emerging as one of the top edge rushers in the game. And he does have a semblance of moves that he can use to get after the quarterback. And we saw what happened in the NFC Championship game last year when the Niners couldn't bottle up Hassan Reddick and they had Tyler Croft out there one-on-one. Hassan Reddick ruined the Niners' opportunity to make it to the Super Bowl because Brock Purdy got hurt. Josh Johnson then came in. He suffered a concussion, and we had Christian McCaffrey throwing passes in a Final Four game, which was unfortunate. I don't want to revisit that, but that's what happened, and that's the importance of holding up in pass protection. So what you have to do, I think you have to have Charlie Warner on that side as a little bit of a chip to just get Aiden Hutchinson off his path. You have to have John Feliciano playing full-time at right guard, I believe, ready for some of those twists and those stunts on that side. And then if the Niners aren't able to run it against the Lions defense, it does a great job against the run. Christian McCaffrey is a very, very good pass-protecting running back. And you want him to have his vision toward that side of Aiden Hutchinson as well to provide some protection there. And again, you go back to Debo playing in this game. You can neutralize that pass rush if you're able to run a couple of bubble screens. Maybe you run some jet sweeps. Maybe you get creative with some of those short crossers. Maybe you roll Brock Purdy out to the left side of the field. We've seen him kind of do that reverse drop back. Maybe you do that a couple of times to get him away from that side to kind of neutralize the strength of that Lions defensive line. How good a cover guys are Barnes and Anzalone on that second level? Because I could see Shanahan really trying to isolate them and make either one of those guys the conflict defender. Uh, Anzalone, I know, is not 100% physically. Um, I don't think he's the greatest movement linebacker I've ever seen. Uh, I like I like the other kid. I mean, I like Barnes. Um, I liked him at Purdue, but I mean, he's a he's six feet two forty. I mean, they're better coverage players than Barnes. Can the Niners pick on those on that duo? Yeah, I was talking to one of the guys who works at Chat Sports, who's from Detroit. He's a diehard Lions fan, and he had mentioned that Anzalone was a little bit banged up this week. And I'll be like, damn, you know, that's a pretty big loss. He's one of the energetic captains on that defense that kind of carries that moniker of Dan Campbell of being physical, biting kneecaps. And he's like, yeah, no, he's certainly valuable there, but he's not that good in coverage. And I think that Detroit as a whole on that defensive side of the football, they're a little bit weak in that secondary. That also includes being a little bit deficient as far as their off-ball coverage linebackers. And we know that San Francisco and Kyle Shanahan, they really like to target the middle area of the field. And that's an area where the Niners can have success because they've always had success there. So that's why I think that George Kittle matched up against some of those linebackers can have a big game. And we know that he can be a security blanket for Brock Purdy. And then that kind of opens up the perimeter a little bit with hopefully Debo, Jawan Jennings, as well as Brandon Ayuk. I'd honestly like to see Kyle have Christian McCaffrey line up in the slot for these reasons. Match him up against the linebacker. And he's able with that excellent, just pristine footwork to win those one-on-one matchups against slower nickels, 
or slower linebackers and you utilize Christian McCaffrey in the pass game because as a route runner, as a pass catcher, he's fantastic. But Anzalone, not awful in coverage this year. Um, a passer rating allowed of 93.1 and a coverage grade of 66.8. So not terrible, but the Niners strength is targeting that middle area of the field. That's certainly a Lions weakness. Nick Bosa led the NFL last year. He had 18 and a half sacks. He has yet to sack a quarterback since his last sack was December 17th yeah. against the Arizona Cardinals. It's the longest stretch of games without a sack in his entire NFL career. Is Bosa, is something wrong with Bosa or do you expect him to go off in this game? He has to go off, and I think that's a huge key for San Francisco as well, especially when you factor in how Jared Goff really struggles when he's under pressure. Six touchdowns, nine picks, and he's completed just 51% of his passes when he is under pressure. Pass rating is 62.9, but when he's kept clean in the pocket, it goes up to 116.1, second best mark in the NFL. What's crazy about Bosa, and I, I do think that this year he was impacted a little bit, by not being with the team until week one against Pittsburgh. Look, there's nothing that can be replicated like real live practice reps, real live football reps. You can be in as good a shape as you want. And we know that Nick Bosa is a physical specimen. We know that he's sculpted. He's an insane athlete, but nothing replicates training camp. Nothing can really be reminiscent of being in an actual game. He even said, yeah, I was a little bit slow to start the year because I was trying to find my groove a little bit. And this year, the sack numbers haven't been there, but Bosa still had a pretty disruptive year. I think he's been really good against the run. He's gotten a lot of pressures. He's gotten a lot of uh, quarterback hits, but he hasn't had a lot of sacks. But this Niners team as a whole defensively hasn't had a lot of sacks on the quarterback. And in his first eight playoff games, Larry, he had eight sacks. In his last four, he's had none. And he's going to be going up against Penny Sewell in a terrific matchup if you love trench play. And if you have an opportunity to not watch the football during this game broadcast, or if you're at the game and you love trench play with a couple of dogs and premier players, just watch Nick Bosa go up against Penny Sewell. How Sewell is able to move is crazy. And he's given up one sack in 674 pass blocking snaps this year. So Bosa has to have a big game. And that's why going back to my previous point, I'm running twists. I'm running stunts. I'm running gains to try to get Bosa off of Penn Soul. But also, this is why you pay Bosa to be the highest paid non-quarterback in the history of football to win this type of matchup in a game of this magnitude against a high caliber player like Penn Soul. He has to have a big game. Um, we're talking to Chase Sr., who's with us on, in his regular Friday slot as we break down Niners and Lions, and we got a few more for him here. And, of course, we're brought to you by Pig and a Pickle, the best barbecue in all of Northern California. We're also brought to you by Marin Auto Glass and Underdog Fantasy. Check the link in the description. Use the promo code KRUG, and they will match you up to your first $100. All right, let's talk a little bit about first down because I think this is going to be interesting a real interesting part of the game. Um, the 49ers, it seemed like against Green Bay, just struggled uh, to yeah. get things rolling on first down. And uh, McCaffrey, you know, CMC averages 5.6 yards per attempt on first down, tied with Gibbs for third best average in the entire league. But then you look across at Detroit's defense, and they allowed a league low 3.37 yard rushing yards per attempt on first down. And Shanahan called a run on 276 first downs, fourth most in the league, compared to 204 passes, 20th most. So you got to stay ahead of the chains. You got to get something done on first down. Uh, if you're Shanahan, do you run McCaffrey on first down against the number one uh, rushing defense on first down in the league? Or does he get creative on first down? What do you think the plan is going to be? This is where I think the loss of Debo early in the first quarter really hurt and altered San Francisco's game plan. We talked all last week on my show, on your show, about how bad Green Bay had been all year in stopping the run. And I thought it was a great opportunity for Kyle Shanahan to run Christian McCaffrey a lot, but to utilize Debo Samuel as a running back as well and maybe mix in a couple of those split back sets where you have Debo and McCaffrey in the backfield and that level of deception 
that level of unpredictability and creativity for San Francisco, I think could have caused Green Bay a lot of issues. And then Debo goes out and Kyle Shanahan has to kind of change the game plan up a little bit in my estimation. And when he panics, when he starts to press, he's not the same ordinary elite play caller that we usually see. I thought it was stunning how Brock Purdy dropped back and threw it 39 times in that game in a rainstorm at Levi's and Kyle Shanahan nearly had just an epic choke job in that game. Luckily, San Francisco got it together. I do give Shanahan credit because even though the run wasn't working out, he kept with it. And then Christian McCaffrey was able to reel off a couple of big runs and then off play action. They were able to have some success through the air. So I think that Kyle is going to try to run the football on first down to really set the tone because he understands the importance of if we establish the run against a good run defense, we already know their secondary is porous. We already know that secondary has struggled all year against the pass. And if we can get the run working and then the pass working, this offense is going to be moving downhill in a momentous way, and we're going to be very, very difficult to stop. So that's going to be one of those things early in the game to keep an eye out for. If Detroit has the Niners playing behind the sticks or at second and long, third and long, that's when you can throw off the rhythm of this Niners offense a little bit. And then you force San Francisco into predictable downs where you know when Brock Purdy is going to throw the football. And that's when you can kind of scheme up things to confuse Purdy a little bit on obvious pass throwing downs when you drop a lot of guys back in coverage, whether it be man or a zone. And we've seen Purdy struggle in those instances. What do you expect from Debo? You know, uh, CJ Gardner Johnson wants to just kill Debo. Um, and Debo, I'm sure, would love to run over CJ Gardner Johnson on the way to the end zone. But, you know, he was in the blue jersey yesterday. It seems like he's going to ramp up and play. He's got shoulder pain. Um, we've never gotten a diagnosis on what the injury is. It doesn't seem like it's a separation. Uh, we were told it wasn't a fracture. It could be a rotator cuff. Either way, it's causing him a lot of pain. I've, I expect Debo to play. Um, Ayuk says he expects Debo to play. Assuming he plays, how impactful do you think he can be? How do you think they utilize him? Let's follow the medical timeline all throughout this week, and this is why I think it's a lock that Debo does play. After the game on Saturday, he started his rehab, even though he was in pain. Early in the week, he was considered to be 50-50. On Wednesday, he didn't practice, but he was on the side field doing some running drills from end zone to end zone, and then we saw this Zapruder film of him carrying the football without any restrictions. And then yesterday, I think this is the most telling. Debo has infectious energy. And the team feeds off of that. And that's why him and Trent Williams walking out of the tunnel with the boombox speaker on the shoulder just gives this team a level of swagger because they're leaders of this team. And when you see Debo running routes, catching passes, dancing on the practice field, and lifting his arms up over his shoulder, that's huge. And that's a little bit of a concern with the shoulder injury. If he can't extend his arm above his head, then he can't play, right? Because he can't catch that high football. For him to be doing that on Thursday is a great sign. And we still have Friday, Saturday, and much of Sunday for him to get right. And I just think that his mere presence on the field helps the confidence of this Niners team. It helps the swagger of this Niners team. But when you can even use him as a decoy, like the Packers do so much with Dan Dontavian Wicks, and you can use him as the motion man again, defense is still up to account for his ability to make a play. And I think that Debo's the ultimate competitor. Debo is the heartbeat of this team. Debo understands what's at stake here. You have that sour taste from losing in the NFC Championship game last year. He has the sour taste of in his rookie year seeing the Chiefs colored confetti come down in the Super Bowl after a heartbreaking defeat. We saw the video of him in the NFC Championship game in 2021 after the Rams won. He was distraught. I don't think there's any way with the importance of this game, the magnitude of it, his role, his importance, what's at stake, him getting the bag and wanting to prove himself after a bad year last year that he doesn't play in this game. And I expect him to play pretty well and just find a way to gut it out. Then you have the personal motivation of C.J. Gardner-Johnson saying one of the most disrespectful things that a DB can say about a wide receiver that he's a running back. 
I can't wait for Debo to lower his shoulder down, put his head down, and run through C.J. Gardner-Johnson and truck stick him. And the ovation that I think Niner fans are going to give Debo that's going to get the adrenaline going because Niner fans are extremely intelligent. They understand the importance that Debo has. We might not see him on kickoff return duties, and that's fine because you can take blows to that shoulder. Put Ray or McLeod back there. That's why you signed him two off seasons ago. But offensively, I think we see Debo. I think he's a part of the game plan. Is C.J. Gardner-Johnson the reason the Eagles' defense fell apart this year because they didn't have him because he, you know, it seems like he's been good everywhere he went. I saw him as the MVP of the Outback Bowl as a freshman at Florida. The guy runs 4-4. He hits like a truck. He picks off passes. He detonates on receivers. Um, You know, he had that monster hit on Isaiah Pacheco in the Super Bowl last year. He, He plays for blood, and so does Kirby Joseph. How special do you think C.J. Gardner-Johnson is. How much did the Eagles miss him this year? So I think the Eagles missed him tremendously. I think the New Orleans Saints missed him a lot after they traded him for basically nothing as Howie Roseman was able to fleece Mickey Loomis. And what's impressive about C.J. Gardner-Johnson is that he's not built like a traditional safety, but he does hit hard. He's very physical. He has absolutely no fear. What was impressive to me last year is that he gets traded to Philadelphia right before the start of the season. And with New Orleans the year prior, he played more than 1,000 snaps at slot corner. He only played about 80 snaps at safety. He mastered that position, and he was able to play at an excellent level at safety after having barely not played that position that much because Philadelphia had such a need there. And what Jonathan Gannon did was that he used C.J. Gardner-Johnson all around the field in a Tyron Matthew type of way where he could be, like Debo is on the Niners offense, a versatile chess piece on the defensive side of the football. And he really is just a perfect Dan Campbell player. Well, he'll talk shit, and he'll have a loud voice, and he'll walk around with swagger. He'll dance. He'll get in your face. But that's all that Detroit is about. And I think that Philadelphia really missed that swagger. They missed the versatility. But let's talk about the player. He has really good instincts. And he tied for the NFL League high in interceptions last year despite missing, I think, four games. So he's able to read and dissect plays. And hopefully he's not able to fake out Brock Purdy in this game because he might shade toward one side knowing that Purdy's going to throw to the other. Then he makes a beat for the football. That's the type of player that he is. Very intelligent player. No doubt. And incredibly physical. Um, Okay. Um, Coaching advantage. Is there one? Uh, Detroit leads the NFL. They go for it a ton, right? They lead the NFL. They've had 118 fourth down tries since Campbell arrived. They're converting almost 53%. They're two for two in the postseason. They scored touchdowns on two fourth and shorts. They got 13 touchdowns on fourth down in the regular season. Um, and the playoffs since 2021, the most in the NFL. Shanahan is on the other, more conservative. He's more traditional. He's attempted only 50 fourth down tries the past three seasons, third fewest in the league. Shanahan's also coming off a game where I thought he kind of gagged a little bit at the end of the second quarter. Uh, he did what he wanted to do, but they, it, you know, they didn't get any points out of it. Um, is there a coaching advantage between this duo? Yeah, so I've been talking about this all week. I think it's a pretty fascinating coaching matchup because, as you said, Kyle Shanahan is a very aggressive, cutthroat offensive play caller with how he tries to attack the defense. But on the same note, he's pretty conservative and more of a traditional conservative head coach with how he manages the game. So you have the conservative Kyle Shanahan as far as how he handles things as a head coach. And then you have Dan Campbell, who is the ultimate gambler. He'll go for two. He'll run a fake punt. He'll go for it on a fourth and goal from the five or seven yard line. And I think that this game could be decided by Kyle Shanahan either being too conservative where it costs San Francisco or rightfully so conservative where it helps them. Or this game could be decided by Dan Campbell being overly aggressive and it costing them or being aggressive and it leading to some momentum changing, backbreaking type of sequence. So I think it's a great 
coaching matchup in that way. Obviously, you have the offensive guru in Shanahan. You have Dan Campbell, who kind of oversees the entire operation, like a John Harbaugh or like a Bill Belichick, who doesn't call plays or have a specific specialty, but does such a great job of just overseeing everything. And then you have Steve Wilkes, veteran, respected defensive coordinator against Ben Johnson, new up-and-coming hip modern day schemes, modern day play designs on the offensive side for Detroit. And I think that, you know, maybe Ben Johnson has a little bit of an edge there, but Steve Wilkes does such a great job of making in-game adjustments as they really bottled up Aaron Jones and bottled up Jordan Love in the second half of that game. And I think that in-game adjustments could be critical in this game as well. So I think the coaching staffs, they're so different. Um, I think Shanahan has the edge on Aaron Glenn, but elsewhere, because of the conflicting styles, I think it kind of evens out a little bit, but I like San Francisco a little bit more, of course. Brian B says, Skip Bayless is the Niners boat racing the Lions. Go for Brokes is my prediction for the NFC Championship game is Niners 38-24, only because if the Niners win, they'll be 38-24 all-time in playoff nice. games. I like the symmetry there. I'm going 31-20 49ers, and I think the Niners are going to win it at the line of scrimmage. I think they're going to turn the ball over less. And I like Purdy to roast, uh, to bounce back big and roast uh, Kendall Vildor and Cam Sutton out on the outside. And I like the Niners. Um, you know, the, the home teams are eight and two in the playoffs. I, I think that trend is strong. I think the Lions are coming, but I think their time is next year. Uh, what's your prediction? What's your score prediction on this one? Yeah, I said at the start of the playoffs, I thought that San Francisco and Baltimore were on a collision course to have a rematch from Christmas night and a rematch from 2012. I think they're going to be the two teams that make it back to the Super Bowl. I just think Baltimore is so physical and they're going to be able to stop that Chiefs offensive attack, which is really, really limited. And they're going to be able to slightly have the edge over a very good Chiefs defense. So I like Baltimore in the AFC. And with San Francisco, the concern last week, rust rain. I think that the Niners knocked off that rust. They're back feeling very confident from all the clips that I saw and the interviews that I've seen. They seem to be a lot looser. And I think there's something to be said for flushing that rusty disjointed game and just getting by that with the victory. It's going to be great weather. They understand they're at home. They match up well against Detroit. Jared Goff is not good outdoors, so that's a clear advantage in this game. And I think San Francisco wins on a high-scoring affair 35-31. And offensively, they're just more in synergy, and they're more complementary, and they're more in rhythm because last week they lacked all of those things. Yeah, no, I'm, I'm with you. I do like Kansas City, and the matchup I like in that one, Chase, is I like Legereus Sneed okay. to shut down, um, you know, the number one receiver for the Ravens, Zay Flowers. And I, I think Sneed's got an advantage there. I'll always take Chris Jones and Carl Loftus yep. uh, on that defensive front, and I'll take Mahomes um, with the money on the table and Reed over Harbaugh and, and Lamar. Um, I think you know, they got a Baltimore got a young team that wasn't ready for the spotlight last week, and they still were tied at halftime. And, and Baltimore, I think, is not going to be able to score big points and pull away. They're a bully team. So I like Mahomes and, and the Chiefs, uh, whether they lead or trail at halftime to come back and win this game in Baltimore. I like Kansas City mostly because I think LeJarius Sneed, who did an amazing job st shutting down Stefan Diggs twice, is going to be able to shut down Flowers. And then I don't like those other receivers for the Ravens. Um, and I know Andrews is back healthy, but we'll see. I, I have, what He hasn't played in forever. He yeah. won't be in rhythm. They'll probably waste three or four passes trying to get him rolling. I like Kansas City. I'm going to take uh, Mahomes on the road. But um, but I, you know, I can see. I wouldn't be shocked if it was Niners Baltimore. Baltimore sure looks really, really good. I mean, Roquan, Queen, Hamilton, Matabuke. I mean, they got guys in the middle of that defense that are Kalani just had awesome. A career year. <laughs> yeah, Geno yeah. Stone. I mean, they they it has a bunch of picks. So Baltimore's damn good. But I don't think if you take away Flowers that Lamar and you've got Jones and Karloftis. Well, the other thing with Lamar, he ran for a buck last year last week they got nick bolton when no team that has nick bolton's given up 100 rushing yards to lamar jackson so 
I'm going to take Bolton and Snead as major difference makers, and I like Kansas City. What do you got cooking the rest of the weekend between now and game day on Chat Sports? Yeah, we uh, I put out kind of the conversation that we had briefly earlier about how San Francisco has to play Jair Brown over Logan Ryan. We have another preview to come this weekend. We'll get some content out of this show to put up on the channel as well. We did a mailbag where we take some questions from our subscribers. So I put out two shows every single day this week and a try to continue to do that up until game day and then the day of the game. And then of course we're back for a watch party on Sunday, two hour pregame show and the roller coaster ride. That was that game last Saturday was certainly an emotional toll. Hopefully it's not that difficult, but hopefully it's celebratory with the Niners victory. How many people watched you guys last weekend? Cause we had, great. we had thousands of people. I think we had almost 3000 people in our post game. Wow. I almost texted you. Cause I'm like, dude, Chase must've had just a ton of people during the game. Cause you guys were on for the watch party throughout. Yeah. How big of a number did you guys post? We, we had a uh, throughout the night, um, including the pregame show, we had a total of 330,000. Wow. And then when the game was crazy at the end, I think we peaked at like 15,000 people watching at one time. It was insane. And some people in the chat were there, like Val Brooks, words of wisdom, go for broke. So glad that you guys are over here supporting Krug as well. Hey, man, always great to wrap with you. Go Niners. I'm going to speak it into existence. The Niners will win this game, and we'll meet up uh, in Vegas next week for a drink or two. Let's Chase, go. good stuff, man. You as well. San Francisco. Let's get it. Peace. Yeah. Yeah. Never met a man I've been scared of. Careful. You won't get exactly what you ask